All right. Well, we don't have much time to look in the scriptures. Just want to tell you a little bit of what's ahead. First of all, to you seniors and you graduating seniors, congratulations from me as well. I want to share a bit from the scriptures, and then we want to save some time at the very end. I want to bring Jared and Lauren Coulter up here and say a few words. I have a gift for Jared, and then our elders are going to come and pray for them. After which, we will all be dismissed, and I hope you'll stop by the 419. Um, Jared and Lauren and the kiddos will be over there. We've got some ice cream and some cookies and that kind of thing and some drinks just to, uh, to see them and to uh, say a kind word. This will be their last Sunday here at Redeemer, but they'll still be in Katy for some time, so you can still have them over for meals. You can throw some cash at them. I'm sure they would love that. During this transition, you can bless them and love them in any ways that God might be calling you. I don't have a particular text I want you to turn to this morning, but um, I have a word for these graduates, but also for all of us, and as pastors are apt to do in this kind of thing, I want to just read to you Second Peter chapter 1, a portion here, verse 12 and following. Peter says, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Peter's writing to a group of Christians, churches, who are grounded in the truth. He knows that, but he wants to remind them. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Jesus had let Peter know that he would soon be off the scene. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. So I want to remind us all of some things that we already know, I suspect, but hopefully it will be good for each one of us. This is graduation Sunday. And there's three things that I hope these seniors will take with them as well as all of us. The first is, if I can get this to work, a providential perspective. A providential perspective. As you seniors launch out and as all of us live wherever it is that God has us, I think we need to have a providential perspective. And you say, what is providence? Let's do a little theology real quick. Here's how J.I. Packer describes it. If creation was a unique exercise of divine energy causing the world to be, providence is a continued exercise of that same energy whereby the creator, according to his own will, keeps all creatures in being, involves himself in all events, and directs all things to their appointed end. The model is of a purposive, personal management with total hands-on control. God is completely in charge of his world. His hand may be hidden, but his rule is absolute. I think this is important for all of us to remember. Maybe especially as you seniors launch out. You've chosen a school. You're going to go to northwestern Oklahoma because you like the school and they offered you a scholarship. You're going to go off to Wharton 
junior college because they got a baseball team there and they offered me a scholarship and I kind of liked the school. Or maybe I've chosen this school because that's where my parents wanted me to go or whatever reason it might be. Love the school, love what they have to offer, love the scholarship that they gave me. At the end of the day, what the doctrine of providence teaches is that God was in that, working out his perfect will. That you're going to that particular school for whatever reasons you might have was ultimately in his hands. It applies to every single one of us. Where we are right now, where we live, where we work, whatever it might be about us, it's not ultimately because we chose to live here or we chose to work there. At the end of the day, the doctrine of providence says not only does God create all things and sustain all things, but that he guides all things to their appointed end. And I think that ought to urge us to think about why or the purpose for which God has us here in your neighborhood, at your workplace, going to that particular school. I think broadly, it's fair to say that God has all of his people where he has them to make God look good, to make his church real strong, and to make Christ well-known. To make God look good, to make his church real strong, to make Christ well-known. To put it another way, to glorify God, to fortify his church, and to testify to his gospel to you seniors, and to all of us. Wherever you are, wherever God takes you, live for the glory of God. Live to connect yourself to the body of Christ, the local body of Christ, wherever it is that God might take you, to use your gifts and what God has given to you to bring it to the table for the strengthening of that church and helping it accomplish its mission in the world. And then live to let others know about Jesus Christ. The thing I love about this kind of thing, the glory of God, the strength of his church, the spread of his gospel, is that it transcends vocation. Some of you may, Ellie's going to study nursing. She may well go on to be a nurse or Maybe you're going to go be a teacher. Maybe you're going to go be an engineer. Awesome. Awesome. The issue is not so much what are you going to do to make a living. The issue ultimately is what are you living for? And as your pastor, I would just urge upon you, whatever it is that you might choose to make a living. For some of you, it may be to say, you know what, I'm going to, be a wife and a homemaker and raise kiddos, awesome. But whatever it is that you might choose to make a living, the question is, what are you going to live for? The most wonderful people in our church, it's not our staff or our elders, though our elders fit in, it's y'all. 
scattered all over the city in all sorts of occupations and vocations. Some of you right at home with those littles living for the glory of God, living for the strengthening of his church, living to testify to the gospel of Jesus. A providential perspective. Esther chapter 4 is one of my favorite verses about this. Who knows, Esther, whether you've not attained to royalty for such a time as this. Esther was just a young Jewish girl living in the Persian Empire who kind of got looped into the king's desire for a new wife. And lo and behold, she became the new wife, the queen of Persia. And some things were happening that was endangering the people of God. And Esther, lo and behold, was in a position now to make something happen. Mordecai, her uncle, said to her, who knows whether you've not attained a royalty for such a time as this? Who knows whether or not God has placed you in that neighborhood for such a time as this? Who knows whether or not God is sending you to that particular school at this particular time for such a time as this? It's no accident. It's no happenstance. It's no bit of luck. It's because God is in it. A providential perspective. Secondly, a passionate pursuit. Chris Long and I think alike. The passage I had in mind here is Philippians 3. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. A passionate pursuit of intimacy with God. A passionate pursuit of loving influence with others. A passionate pursuit of friendship with holiness. To you graduating students, as you've taken off, pursue him. Pursue others. Pursue holiness. Jerry Bridges, in his classic book, The Pursuit of Holiness, opens up the book with an illustration I've always loved, and it, it doesn't simply apply to the pursuit of holiness. I think it applies to our pursuit of God, our pursuit of, of others in terms of loving them and serving them and being a blessing to our friends and our church family and to the world. He said this, a farmer plows his field sows his seed and fertilizes and cultivates. So he's out there working. He's plowing. He's planting. He's fertilizing. He's cultivating. All the while knowing that in the final analysis, he is utterly dependent on forces outside of himself. He knows he cannot cause the seed to germinate, nor can he produce the rain and the sunshine for growing and harvesting the crop. For the successful harvest, he is dependent on these things from God. Yet the farmer knows that unless he diligently pursues his responsibilities to plow, plant, fertilize, and cultivate, he cannot expect a harvest at the end of the season. In a sense, he's in a partnership with God, and he will reap its benefits only when he has fulfilled his responsibilities. Farming is a joint venture between God and the farmer. The farmer cannot do what God must do. He can't cause the rain, he can't cause the sun, he can't cause the seed to germinate. The farmer cannot do what God must do, and God will not do what the farmer should do. Plow, and plant, and fertilize, and cultivate. 
we can say just as accurately that the pursuit of holiness, or I might say the pursuit of God, the pursuit of loving relationships with others, is a joint venture between God and the Christian. No one can attain any degree of holiness without God working in his life, but just as surely no one will attain it without effort on his own part. God has made it possible for us to walk in holiness, but he has given to us the responsibility of doing the walking. He does not do that for us. And so do all of us in our relationship with God, I would say to us, let's passionately pursue him. Let's seek him. Let's read the word of God and let's pray. And let's gather with God's people and let's get together and worship God together and let's do all that we can, trusting, believing that God will be at work in and through those things. In influence with others, I would say to all of us, let's initiate relationships within the body of Christ and in our neighborhoods and in the workplace for others' good. Initiate with them, befriend them, serve them, all the while believing that God will be in that and God will work through that. In terms with friendship, with holiness. May we all keep watch on our lives. Trust that God's word is true and seek to obey him. A providential perspective, a passionate pursuit, and then finally a prevailing perseverance. As you head off to school, as all of us head out the door today, there are things that will conspire to trip us up, bring us down, and take us out of the game. Persecution is one. If you choose to follow Jesus Christ on a college campus, it will not always go well with you, even those of you who are going to Christian colleges. If you go hard after Jesus, not everybody else is going hard after Jesus. You'll be looked over, you'll be laughed at, if you've been walking with Jesus in high school, you know some of it, and you will experience more of it on a college campus. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And you'll be tempted at times to give up and give in and say, you know what, I, I, you know. Also trials, not simply persecution, trials, those mysterious things that God brings into our life that are just painful. And that we're not so sure what to make of them. James in the Bible calls them various trials. And we all know what that means. They come in all shapes and sizes. There are trials for the old and trials for the young. There are trials for the rich and there are trials for the poor. There are trials for the sick and there are trials for the healthy. There are trials for men and there are trials for women. There are trials in the workplace and there are trials in the college, on the college campus. And the enemy will be in your ear. God is not worthy of praise. He's not worthy of your worship and of your obedience if he can't guide your life any better than this. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. And then finally, sin. 
That's another, you're going to have to persevere. All of us are going to have to persevere through persecution. We're going to have to persevere through trials. And we're going to have to persevere through our own sin. I don't have much time. I want to make sure that I get this in. I often quote John Piper because I love his ministry so much. Years ago, he was speaking to a group of college students. But what he had to say does not apply merely to college students. It applies to every man and woman in this room who struggles with sin and sometimes falls into it. I know that's only three or four of us in the room, so no. He takes up Micah. Oh, here's Hebrews. For you have need of endurance. That's for all of us. Micah chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, which reads, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Listen to this. This is worth you haven't come this morning. And what will you say to him? Him in this context is our enemy, Satan, who having just fallen into sin is in your ear. You're no good. God can't love you. You might as well quit on your dreams to serve him. What will you say to him? I conclude with my second point, trusting Christ to the hilt with gutsy guilt. Micah 7, 8 to 9 is a picture of what you say to your enemy when he scoffs at your defeat. Here is what you say. My summary of these words is to call them gutsy guilt. I call it that because the believer admits that he has done wrong and that God is dealing roughly with him. But even in a condition of darkness and discipline, he will not, he will not surrender his hold on the truth that God is on his side. Listen to these amazing words. Mark them. Memorize them. Use them whenever Satan tempts you to throw away your life on trifles because that's all you're good for. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. This is what victory looks like the morning after failure. Meditate on it long and hard when I'm gone. Learn to take your theology and speak like this to the devil or anyone else who tells you that Christ is not capable of using you mightily for his global cause. Here is what you say. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. You make merry over my failure. You think you will draw me into your deception. Think again. When I fall, I shall rise. Yes, I have fallen, and I hate what I've done. I grieve at the dishonor I have brought on my king, but hear this, O oh my enemy, I will rise, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Yes, I am sitting in darkness. I feel miserable. I feel guilty. I am guilty. But that is not all that is true about me and my God. The same God who makes my darkness is a sustaining light to me in this very darkness. He will not forsake me. 
I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Oh yes, my enemy, this much truth you say, I have sinned. I am bearing the indignation of the Lord, but that is where your truth stops and my theology begins. He, the very one who is indignant with me, he will plead my cause. You say he is against me and that I have no future with him because of my failure? That's what Job's friends said. That is a lie. And you are a liar. My God, whose son's life is my righteousness and whose son's death is my punishment, will execute judgment for me, for me, for me, not against me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. This misery that I now feel because of my failure, I will bear as long as my dear God ordains. And this I know for sure. As sure as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is my punishment and my righteousness, God will bring me out to the light. And I will look upon his righteousness, my Lord and my God. Ain't that good? Every one of us in the room are in need of endurance. Walking faithfully with Jesus can sometimes court persecution that makes us want to go quiet and go home. Endure. All of us are going to face trials that sometimes make us wonder, is God in control? Indeed he is. Don't give up and don't give in. And all of us are going to stumble and fall and sin. And the lie will be, you're not worth it. God can't use you. Your life is done. Just go ahead and give yourself to the trifles of the world. Don't do that. Don't do that. I get to climb this mountain, Lord willing, in, in about 45 days. And people have asked me since I won that chip game, hey, are you and chip buddies now? The answer to that is no, we are not. But I got a guy, and I'll send a tweet to my guy, and my guy will sometimes send it on to Chip. When we were in California a month ago, I was climbing some of the hills, doing some training, and I sent a 10-second video to my guy who passed it on to Chip. And a few weeks later, I got a video back from Chip, which was really cool. And he was out training for the marathon. He's running right now as we speak. Never run a marathon before, and yet he's running one today. And in this video, he was really encouraging to me and all that kind of good stuff. But here's how he ended it. Don't ever quit, man. Make them drag you off that mountain. Don't ever quit. And I thought about that this morning for these seniors and for all of us. And oh, may God, may it be true of me. Don't ever quit, man. Make them drag you off that narrow path that leads to life. Don't ever quit. Keep getting up. When the persecution's coming hard, don't quit. When the trials have your head spinning, don't quit. And when your own flesh is just seemingly having its way, don't quit. Make them drag you off this narrow path that leads to life.
Don't ever quit. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray myself for these seniors, your richest blessings upon them. These next several years will be magic in so many ways. The new friends that they will make. The things that they will learn. The experiences that they'll never forget. Bless them in just unimaginable ways. But no doubt, Lord, they're going to go through some ups and downs, some twists and turns. Sustain them. Hold them close to yourself. Don't let them go. Give them your grace to persevere. They, as all of us, are in need of endurance. Give it to them. Use them for the light of the gospel of the glory of God on their campus. In the dorms, the classrooms, on the ball fields, in the band, whatever it might be, wherever they might go, may the light of Christ shine through them. We'll pray in Jesus' name. Amen.